This is Christian Questions. J.R.R. Tolkien just uh, once said, Living by faith includes the call to something greater than cowardly self-preservation. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we are glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is the subject matter for today? We have got a good one. Yes, we do, Rick. Our question this morning is, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? And our theme text is found in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves declares the Lord God. So you have Noah, Daniel, and Job mentioned in that scripture. There must be three pretty good guys. That's for sure. They're mentioned outside of the context of their own lives. And, and we understand that Daniel was a good, righteous, and deeply faithful man, man of the Old Testament. From a very young age, he showed himself to be wholly keyed in on being in lockstep with obedience to God. God, in turn, blessed Daniel with many, in many ways, from preserving his life to granting him uh, ability to interpret dreams, to elevating him in power, to, bespo- to bestowing upon him an incredible gift of prophecy. Oh, yeah, and God also delivered him from the den of lions. Oh, we all know yeah, that. Get that. <laughs> so today, Daniel's prophecies are among the most discredited scriptures in the Bible. Why is that? What is it about Daniel that makes so many... So afraid. Jonathan, we are going to be delving deeply, and I mean deeply, into the prophecies of Daniel this morning. This is going to be good. So in order to do that, what we had to do is we had to bring in a Daniel expert. Yes, we did. (laughs) So we have with us uh, David Rice, uh, who has actually um, guested on our program before. David, you are from San Diego, California. Yes, that's true. Glad to be with you, Rick. You are here in the studio on the East Coast. Yes, we're here for a convention in New Haven, and it gave the opportunity to join you this morning. Thank you for the offer. So, uh, David, it's really, really great to have you here. Uh, David, you are a minister. Yes, with San Diego Bible students have mm-hmm. been for oh, 35 years. And so uh and and you have a, a a very specific passion I know for Daniel as well as prophecy as well as the, the Bible and I will say a very deep interest, yes. Okay. So and so we have David here with us to to help us uh go through this whole uh this whole interesting interesting and deep deep study but before we get into all oh oh, wait 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 you know what we have some good news well before the good news there's other good news what's that we have somebody else who is here uh sort of observing the program another previous guest on our program we have todd alexander here with us from columbus ohio todd hi rick and jonathan it's great to be with you today how are you i'm doing great i'm really looking forward to this subject yeah, and uh, we, you're also going to be uh, working with us at this uh, Bible conference today. Yes, I have a lecture later this afternoon. And uh, we're glad you're here. And Good uh, to be with you. Todd, you're going to be back on the program with us soon, right? Let's talk about the Great Pyramid, Rick. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's another interesting individual who's got some great knowledge about things that folks, they, these things just blow your socks right off. Knock your socks off. Blow, <laughs> blow you away, knock your socks off. Something That's like better. that. All right. Anyway, yes, Jonathan, there is some, uh, just a little bit of, 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 of a Christian Questions news flash, some news, good news uh, for Christian Questions Radio. Uh, Jonathan, we recently launched our first uh, weekday program in Orlando, Florida, this past August. That's right, Christian Questions Daily. Right, every day from 12 to 1230, uh, five days a week there. Our overall growth over the last five years has been an amazing ride. It's been fun. It's been humbling at the same time. And it's truly because of our listening audience that all of this has been able to happen. That's for sure. Uh, we love having you guys uh, be part of the growth, uh, calling in, uh, sharing with us your thoughts, your comments on our website, ChristianQuestions.com, talking with us on Facebook, our blog, and so forth. All the emails. Really appreciate it. Well, the latest story is this. In Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, we have actually been selected by a 50-year radio veteran who owns radio stations in Knoxville to be part of a launching of a new FM talk station, Knox talk radio 94.3 fm and uh we were on a successful fm news talk station a couple of years ago in knoxville that's right that's right it got sold that's business uh, went to an am station did okay there but this is a really really wonderful opportunity because this fm 94.3 fm in knoxville is going to have uh, sean hannity and glenn beck on as uh, some of their uh, main weekday programming mm-hmm and Very uh, good. you know, we, so we've been asked to be on that station along with Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck. We're, we're actually waiting for our congratulatory phone call from Sean and Glenn. Yeah, well, um, I would like that, but you know, those guys, you know, they're very busy. You know, we'll, we'll have to catch up with them uh, later. So, you know? so I'll wait another week, <laughs> or yeah. two, or three, or never. Or <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, look, this is first of many Sunday mornings on the new Knox Talk Radio ninety four point three FM. Folks, it's great to be here. Hope um, that you enjoy our presence with you, and, and hope that you uh, want to contribute to our program. Our call-in number, even though we haven't started talking yet, is 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Let's get started. Okay, the book of Daniel. First of all, David, let's get started Who's Daniel? He he's known in in Babylon. What's Babylon? Where's Babylon? When is Babylon? Get us going. Well, Daniel, of course, was an Israelite, and he was taken as a, really a, a teenager with his three friends, three Hebrew friends, into captivity. There were three waves of captivity that Babylon brought upon Israel, and Daniel went in the very first wave of captivity. Now, there were two other prophets, contemporary with him, a little older than him. Jeremiah preceded him. Jeremiah stayed in Israel. So the prophecies of Jeremiah are the later ones contemporary with Daniel. And the other prophet of note is Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a little older than Daniel, but he went into captivity some years after Daniel. Daniel was part of the nobility, as it were, that were taken early into Babylon as part of a uh, effort to make sure the fealty of the king of Israel remained with Babylon. Okay, so the first question is, would Daniel have potentially known... Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Daniel would have known Ezekiel. He would have known of Jeremiah, whether he actually encountered him when he was a teenager in Israel. Well, that's not known. But he would have known of him. Jeremiah had a reputation. All right. So, you know, one of the things we never do is we never put these Bible prophets together. Link them together. Right. That's cool. So, so Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel were all contemporaries, lived at the same time. Right. And, and you're saying he would have known Ezekiel. Oh, yes. Because Ezekiel was in 
it was taken to Babylon in the second wave of captivity. And so Daniel's much younger than Ezekiel. He was. Well, he was a little younger. Little, he was okay. younger when he went in captivity. But Ezekiel would have been a little older than Daniel age-wise. But he came into Babylon uh, about uh, 10 years after Daniel. All right. Fascinating. And, and you know, the Ezekiel 14.14 14 scripture talks about Daniel. So Ezekiel sees the great power of Daniel's person and character and place in God's plan because Ezekiel, who's a little older than Daniel, lumps Daniel in with Noah and Job as very, very righteous people in their generations. Yes. Now, by this time, Daniel all would have already would have stepped into the limelight. We'll see that later in Daniel chapter 2. He already would have, have interpreted a critical dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's fame would have gone abroad. Okay, so Daniel... When, when in this first wave of captivity, first of all, about what year, what, what time frame are we talking well, here? If you look in the very first verse, it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, and this was, would have actually turned out to be the accession year of Nebuchadnezzar. So because of that, we can the put a date on this. The accession year? Yes. What does year, that mean? The year in which Nebuchadnezzar became king to replace his father. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually, when Nebuchadnezzar first came to the west and crossed the river Euphrates, his father was still king, but it was the year in which he would die and Nebuchadnezzar would take over. All right, so Babylon. Where's Babylon? Because we don't have a, a place called Babylon now. No, if you think of the city of Baghdad, you're not too far off. It's not in Baghdad, but Baghdad is in Iraq, and it's on Got the it. Euphrates River. And um, uh, if you think uh, it, the coordinates around Baghdad, you, you have a, a rough location. Okay, so now Babylon and Baghdad are, are almost the same location. So now we can visualize where we're talking about. We can visualize Daniel as a very young man. You keep saying young man. How young do you think he was? You know, we don't have an exact date, but the estimates between 15 and 17, somewhere around there when he was carried captive. Okay, so 15, it, it, very similar to Joseph. Remember? Oh, yeah. Joseph mm-hmm. at a very young age. Uh, and Joseph's life and Daniel's life seem to parallel in a lot of ways. They do. And uh, yeah. that's subject for another day. But uh, So, young man, Daniel, taken captive with several others, uh, and, and they go to Babylon. Now, in Babylon, which is essentially geographically Iran, uh, or Iraq, rather, I'm sorry, Iraq, um, what's, what's the context of, of Babylon at this point in time? Well, of course, they're, they're idolatrous, and Daniel comes from a, a, a country where they worship Jehovah, the one God, and there are immediate problems. Uh, Daniel and his three friends are really treated very well by the king because they're, they're very bright young boys, and they're being trained for service. And, of course, they're expected to participate in the Babylonian customs. And the customs of paganism are different than Israelite. And, therefore, it's a matter of conscience with Daniel. So there are problems right off the bat. And we know that at the beginning of Daniel, what happens is he takes a stand. He does. And that, as a very, very young man who is a captive, to take a stand is... is, You just don't do that. (laughs) It's very interesting. You know, I love the character of Daniel because even when he took a stand, it wasn't a belligerently opposed stand. He said he tried to figure out a way in which his conscience could be satisfied without upsetting his captors. And he found that way. And And that that shows an incredible amount of wisdom for such a young boy. Wisdom, humility, maturity for for a teenager. This is remarkable. It shows his character, especially today, folks. Where do we see wisdom, humility, and and uh, what was the other character? Maturity, maturity in in teenagers today. I ask you. So we get a little bit of a sense of the the context of of Babylon, the context of Daniel being taken captive in these waves of captivity. Babylon is a very, very, very powerful. 
uh, place at this point. It is. We're going to talk about four univer- four world empires that dominated the, the ancient Middle East, and Babylon was the first. All right. So first of four world-dominating empires. Yeah. So very major, major, major world superpower at that time. Yes. Um, now, let's just lay some groundwork. And folks, in, the, in this first segment, it's about groundwork. It's about just putting things in context to understand what it is we're going to be talking about. So what now the book of Daniel, it's, it's broken up into Got 12 chapters, 12 chapters. And how, how the, does that? There's fall two out? basic parts of it, okay. six chapters in each. The first six chapters take you through the narrative experiences of what Daniel went through. And the last six chapters are full of four prophecies and visions that Daniel himself had. Now, there are prophecies and visions in the first six chapters. It was a dream of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, another one but Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. But these were things that Daniel interpreted, but they weren't his own visions, as it were. So it's part of the historical narrative. And those six chapters, first six chapters, are in sequence, chronological, as they occurred to Daniel. The second six chapters, filled with four visions of Daniel himself, are also in chronological chronological sequence among themselves, but the two segments of six chapters overlap each other. Okay, so would you say that the the visions and so forth that Daniel had himself came later in life? They did. Okay, Yes. so the earlier part of Daniel's life then was really in servitude in Babylon and to the point of being able to, uh, to, to understand things, to be God's mouthpiece. Uh, for interpretation and so forth. Yes. Then later, as Daniel became a much more mature man, he had visions himself. That is correct. Which he recorded, and many of which we will uh, be touching on this morning. Folks, we're talking about Daniel the prophet and the prophecies that Daniel dealt with, not only his own visions that he had, but the the visions of Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the things, just before the break, that I just want to put on the table is... David, very quickly, why is the book of Daniel under always uh, always under so much attack? Daniel is the battleground for divine inspiration. It's as, bl- it's as simple as that. Because Daniel's prophecies are so precise, so direct, so unambiguous in content, that they predicted history in advance with such precision, you can only explain it either of two ways. Either he was a divinely inspired prophet, or he was a fraud who wrote after the fact. All right. <laughs> so which is the truth? That's what we want to get to. That's what we want to find out as we investigate Daniel the prophet. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Bryce. And our subject, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? Coming up, did Daniel's prophecies really foretell who the future world governments after Babylon would be? You'll be amazed. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick with our special guest, David Rice. Our subject this morning, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, Jonathan, we have our special guest, David Rice, with us from San Diego, California, here in the studio with us on the East Coast. David, again, it's so good to have you here. My pleasure. And you know what? 
as we as we open this up, I just have to say that, folks, you got to understand the impact of what we're talking about this morning. To me, the last segment in, in, in setting the introduction of who Daniel was and when he lived and the context, it's like Christmas Eve. It's like the anticipation. Well, now it's Christmas morning, and we're going to open our presents. This is where it gets good. Yeah, and, and folks... Really understand that the when you when you grasp the import of the prophecies of Daniel, you see unequivocally the mind of God, uh, the mind of God's foresight, and you see the opening up of of His plan, and you can see that all through the book of Daniel. So, so David, let's get started. Um, we're going to be talking about some world uh, empires. Yes. Okay, let's get started. Jonathan, let's get started with, with a little bit of reading. Folks, we're going to go to Jan- Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read the first couple of verses, then we're going to skip down to verse 31 and read a few verses about King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation. And then, Brother D- uh, David, we're just going to let you, let you go to town on it. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, none of them could interpret this dream. No, they couldn't. None of them could figure it out, and it was. And, and then the king is, is basically saying, okay, that's it, you're all doomed, because none of you get this. Daniel gets wind of it, asked for the ability to... to he, get he's the, on the list to be doomed, right, right, isn't he? Right, right. So... Now he comes, and now the next few verses are his uh, recounting what the dream was. Not only what it was, but what it meant. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron. It's partly its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of the iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no, not a trace of them was found. But the stone that was struck... The statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, so that's the dream as Daniel is recounting it to, to King Nebuchadnezzar. What is the meaning? Daniel goes through the meaning. David, give us a sense of the meaning and its import for us sitting here talking about it in the year 2013. Okay. Well, Daniel lived in the time of the first of these empires that was predicted in this vision. These four parts of this metal image represent four universal dominions that are going to hold the sway over the Middle East and over the people of Israel. And ultimately, it's going to take you down to the establishment of a fifth universal empire, which is the kingdom of Christ. Now, Daniel starts off, he's very explicit in verse 36, says, there's the dream. Now, by the way, you know, what Nebuchadnezzar required was, I can't remember the dream. You tell me the dream, then tell me the interpretation. Right, right. So that was a marvelous thing that God gave Daniel the dream that somebody else had dreamed. That, no, he couldn't even, didn't have the details to interpret it, so God gave him an understanding of what it actually was, and then the interpretation as well. That's right. Now, in verse 37, he says, Thou, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, art a king of kings. God uh, God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. So the first kingdom, the head of gold, was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire that he founded. And then he says, in verse 39, 
After thee shall arise another kingdom, inferior to thee, another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron and break all these others. So he's predicting there will be four kingdoms, and if you go down to this image of ten toes at the bottom, that the fourth kingdom would divide into ten different powers, and then farther down in history, they would be broken and consumed, and the kingdom of Christ would be set up in place of them. Now, we've got to the point where we can look back historically, and we can see, yes, Babylon, and they were then overcome by the Persian Empire, and after them by the Grecian Empire, and then the strongest empire that ever reigned, that would be Rome. And then after the Roman Empire, there was not another universal empire that subsumed Rome and took over. Instead, the Roman Empire broke into the countries of Europe. They became, as history passed, political, religious uh, spheres of influence that were dominated by a central dominating power. And this religious political sphere held sway for over a thousand years until modern times when they began to be broken up in the Napoleonic Wars and then World War I, World War II. And now we're on the threshold of the most dynamic part of this dream, and that is the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. And that's referred to in verse 44. All right, so, so wait, 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 wait. Let, let, let's just pause here. Time out! <laughs> Rick's brain needs to recalculate all this. So what you're saying is this particular dream of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's interpretation took world history from Daniel's time all the way to where we are now and the future. Yes, it did. That, Very comprehensive dream. That one dream that this king th- this king had. Yes. All right. So, folks, again, this is giving us a sense of uh, the 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 power of the book of Daniel and the fact that you know, and you named names with these with these empires and so forth. Yes. So, um, two things. Jonathan, first of all, folks, if you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right. Um, and, and folks, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, Colin, uh, David is certainly uh, happy to, to address those with you. We do have a call uh, on the line now. Why don't we take that before we go a little bit deeper into this particular prophecy, prophecy Jonathan? All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Julius. <laughs> yes. Uh, how much we would be missing without the prophecies of the wonderful man uh, of God, Daniel? I disagree with the historians. Uh, I see him legitimate and uh, a great contributor to prophetic uh, utterances. Uh, one point I'd like to share with you, and that is uh, Ezekiel. Uh, you, you quoted Ezekiel uh, mentioning Daniel yes. earlier. Yes. And now, what makes it more powerful, more legitimate, and more meaningful also is the, uh, the Lord Jesus refers to Daniel in Matthew 24:15. Now, to me, that is uh, very significant. That uh, I like Daniel. I think he was a, a great man of God. In, in the future, I see a place for Daniel in God's kingdom here on earth. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. 
All right, I guess it's settled. Julius likes Daniel, so he's okay. And because he said <laughs> Jesus mentioned him, he's okay with him. Well, you know, and that actually that's an important factor because the fact that Jesus quotes Daniel and he talks about the 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 uh, abomination that maketh desolate, which Daniel's prophecies talked about, gives you a sense that Jesus looked upon the prophecies of Daniel not as something that would have been a fraud that David you said that you know historians like to look at because if you don't accept Daniel as a fraud, then you have to accept that he was. Prophesying in great detail, world history. That's yes. right. Not and not just world history for the next two weeks. We're talking world <laughs> history for thousands of years, and and that just gives you a whole different sense. Uh, Jesus quoted him, obviously giving a, a sense to his authenticity. So, Julius, thanks so much for the call. We appreciate it. All right, David. Getting back to 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 the vision or the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the the image and the interpretation. Okay. Now. To show how specific his vision was, not only that he named, that he said there would be four strong empires coming, but there were names put to them. Now, when you go... F- wait, wait, who put the names to them? Daniel did. Okay, so In these the empires that were, were sometimes hundreds yeah. of years away. Well, now the first one, of course, would have come and conquered Babylon during the lifetime of Daniel. Okay. So that one's a given. That's a kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. He could have seen that, although his... His explanation of the dream preceded that by decades. But either way, he saw, he lived long enough to see that. But then he prophesied by name that Greece would be the third kingdom. By name? By name. Now, you don't get that name by name until you get to the eighth chapter. But there it is in the eighth chapter. And a different vision and a different uh, symbols, he says very specifically, in this case, it's a ram that represents the third kingdom. The ram that thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat, the king of Grecia. And so he's getting very specific in three of these kingdoms. You know the first is Babylon, right. then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, almost two centuries before Greece became anything like an empire that could even be conceived of as becoming dominant. Now, in the interim, during the Persian Empire, the whole wealth of the Persian Empire was gathered against Greece to defeat them. And they lost. And then Greece, 150 years later, comes back to be the next empire. You would not have guessed that if you had been in Daniel's shoes 200 years before Alexander. But it goes deeper. Okay, okay, wait, wait. So, so, so far what you're saying then is that this, this kingdom of Greece, which was centuries later, it would have been like saying, Jonathan, here, here, here's a good example. It would have been like saying, my great-great-great-grandson is going to be president of the United States. I mean, come on! I don't even like politics. You know, it's really, how would you possibly even be able to guess such a thing? By God's grace. And, and, that's, and, and that's the point. It's not a guess. It's a prophecy because God in his foreknowledge was laying out for us, and, and I'm going to really jump ahead here for a second David God is laying out for us a story of hope in oh, all yes. of this you yes. know and that's really the bottom line of the giving the reason behind the giving of all of these prophecies yeah. okay so I, I interrupt you in the middle get, get back to your thought okay well it, it, in the seventh chapter of Daniel you have a parallel to the s- second chapter but in the seventh chapter this is a dream that Daniel himself had it covers the same prophetic view But now these four world governments are four animals that come up out of the sea. From Daniel's perspective as a prophet, the kingdoms that have ravaged the world are like four great beasts that have just ravaged the world. And the first one is a lion, that's Babylon, and then a bear, Medo-Persia. And the third one, a leopard, that would be Greece. This leopard is like a leopard, unlike a leopard you've ever seen. It has four heads. 
And these are interpreted to be the four divisions of the Grecian Empire after the first king, who was Alexander. Now, so Daniel not only named by name that Greece would be, but he said, here's something unusual. All of the kings of Babylon were succeeded by one heir who took the kingdom in a unified position. All the kingdoms of Persia did the same thing. But he said, when Greece becomes the empire, after the very first strong king... It's going to be broken. His heir will not receive the kingdom. It'll be split into four parts, exactly. And historically, we know those four parts. Egypt, Syria, uh, Thrace, and Macedonia. And these are so clear historically. And Daniel predicted this whole scenario so far ahead, it had to be by inspiration, unless he's a fraud. And therefore, historians will choose the latter. Right, because it, it it it's too obvious. But he didn't name the names of those four, did he? He didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't tell us even the name of Alexander, but he described him so precisely. Nobody, including skeptics of the Bible, doubt the fulfillment. The only question is, was it a legitimate prophecy ahead of time, or was it written after the fact? All right, so what you're saying then is that the, the, the writings of Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel in terms of these universal empires and the greatness of the, the, the plan of God unfolding would have been so, it was so precise that the skeptics have to admit, okay, yeah, he's describing these things, but it has to have been written later because the description is so incredibly accurate, there is no other way to explain it. Yes, that's essentially Because goodness knows you wouldn't want to have divine intervention. (laughs) You wouldn't want to have a God of all all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding involved in this. No, you wouldn't, because that just would not not work out well for a lot of people uh, in in terms of... It wouldn't work out well for them. You know what? It's going to work out well for them later. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Okay, so um, just very quickly, just we've got like maybe 30 seconds left in this segment. The the, the 10 divisions, uh, you know, uh, the 10 toes, what about that? Okay, when you look historically, there were ten countries that came split up from the Roman Empire that, uh, if you look very carefully, all were said to wear the diadem, showing they had the power of the Roman Emperor, but they were separate individual countries. You can actually trace ten of them. And so the Roman Empire, instead of being subsumed by one other greater empire, was broken apart into ten divisions, which subsequently became the nations of Europe. Okay, so so the detail is unfathomable in terms of looking at it and saying, okay, this, uh, bottom line, folks, this cannot be luck. This cannot be a guess. This is divine providence. You're listening to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick and our special guest, David Rice, and our subject, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? Coming up. So just how specific are Daniel's world government prophecies? Do they even address family matters? You'll see. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Rice, and our subject this morning, Why do historians dislike Daniel so much? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And again, we have our special guest, David Rice, with us. And we are unlocking, opening up the prophecies of Daniel 
that are so specific that they are amongst the most challenged verses in Scripture because they are so clearly focused on unfolding history in such an accurate way that you can't doubt what they're talking about. And, and, and David, in the last segment, you were beginning to, to, to touch on some of the aspects of Daniel chapter 8, and this is about that third empire, uh, Greece. So, so, Jonathan, let's read the first few verses of Daniel chapter 8. Let's read verses 1 through 3 uh, of Daniel chapter 8. And again, folks, if you have a thought, if you have a question, you have a comment, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, and you know, <clears throat> Jonathan, one more thing before you do the reading. Um, seek your Rewind, the full edition. You need it for this program. Oh, for sure. Okay, you, you just you just have to have it. It's, Sign up. It's free. It's right. It's free service at ChristianQuestions.com. Sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. What it will do, because this is such a deep and such a broad subject, our rewinders are really expert at taking those things and condensing them down so they can make sense piece by piece by piece by piece. Again, it's a free service exclusively offered at ChristianQuestions.com. CQ Rewind, the full edition. Sign up for it now you're going to love it you you won't regret it in the third year of the reign of belshazzar the king a vision appeared to me daniel subsequently to one which appeared to me previously i looked in the vision and while i was looking i was in the citadel of susa which is in the providence of elam and i looked in the vision and i myself was beside the yuli canal then i looked i lifted my eyes and looked and behold a ram with two horns was standing in front of the canal now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. So, David, this is Daniel talking about a vision that he had after another vision. That is correct. Now, third year of the reign of Belshazzar, that would be, oh, about uh, uh, ten years or so before this vision would be fulfilled. Okay, so... Um Talk, talk about, okay. talk about so the vision. What, this, what does it mean? In this vision, he's seen that the next kingdom is going to be a kingdom of two powers. And the two powers, he says, that are represented by the two horns, and the higher one came up last. Well, everybody can see, historically, that was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes were dominant early, but the Persians became dominant later under King Cyrus, and therefore rose later, and were the more dominant later. Now, this prophecy in the 8th chapter is unique because it gives us the names of the empires. And that we read that earlier in 20 and 21. He, mm -hmm. by name, the second empire would be Persia, and the third empire would be Greece. But beyond that, it tells us something about the, the fact that there would be the four parts of the Grecian empire. You'll find that in verse 8 and in verse 9. All right, Jonathan, why don't you read those? Uh, Daniel 8, ver uh, verses 8 and 9. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. So this is, first of all, it's obviously a vision, and it's very strange. You know, you're talking about multiple-headed beasts in some places, all these horns growing up and... It, but it actually gets very simple because the visions 
are compatible with each other. Now, remember in the seventh chapter, the third government was represented by a leopard of four heads. Right. Here, this third government, the first king is represented by a great horn, and he's broken in four horns come up to replace him. You see, the connectivity between the two visions is very straightforward. So so the pictures are, are one thing, but the, the numbers are, are lining up, and so it makes an easy transition right. from one to the other. Yeah, Got so it. it's very clear that after the first king of Greece... Then there would be four divisions to the Grecian Empire. Now, this didn't happen under Babylon, didn't happen under the centuries that the Persian Empire reigned, but right after Greece took over, one king, and then it breaks into exactly four pieces. This is the kind of precision, two centuries ahead, that Daniel gives us, which would be unaccounted for, except by inspiration. Now, I mentioned later, okay, maybe he's a fraud, but you know, as a matter of fact, we mentioned that there's two parts to the book of Daniel, the first six chapters and the second six. Today, in a technical analysis, many of the skeptics are agreeing of the integrity of the first six chapters. They agree they were written by a Hebrew who lived in the time that Daniel claims to have lived. They still challenge the second set of six, but what they don't understand is they're giving up half the argument because in the first six chapters, you have the dream of Nebuchadnezzar right. that connects to the vision of Daniel in the seventh chapter. So the essence is even the skeptics are starting to bend. They're not broken, but they're starting to bend. <laughs> We're working on them. We're working on them. And so, so, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Out of the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Go ahead, David. So now I'd like to connect the thought of this to the last vision that Daniel had. Okay. And that's starting in chapter 11. All right. So now we're, you're still focusing on that third empire? Or? Yes, I am. Okay. So the third empire, Greece, breaking into four pieces. That's right. Now Daniel 11 is going to start a little earlier and then build to that third kingdom. The first four verses would be real good. Okay. Daniel 11, verses 1 to 4. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. All right, so Darius the Mede, just interrupt. This is after King Nebuchadnezzar. That's correct. Darius the Mede, who some people feel is the same as Cyrus the Great. I feel that. I could give reason, but let's just say now that he is the first king of the empire that subsumed Babylon. Okay, so this is after Nebuchadnezzar and, and moving forward. Go ahead. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arise, ar- arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. Uh, Rick, could I interrupt just a moment sure. here? Okay, here, what we've got enumerated is something remarkable. That Cyrus was the first king. He said there would be three more. That would be his son Cambyses, and then Asmertus, and then Xerxes would be the fourth one. Xerxes is famous for rousing up the whole wealth of the Persian Empire, going against Greece to defeat them. And that's exactly what it says. The fourth king specifically will gather all his riches and stir up all the rum against Grecia. I mean, this is a landmark battle. If you ever heard of the Battle of Marathon where the 300 Greeks, you know, repelled this Persian army, that's one part of this campaign. It's a milestone battle and episode in campaign in world history. Because Greece was not defeated, they're going to become the next empire. And that's what verses 3 and 4 proceed to describe. Okay, now, before you go on, on to the reading again, it's interesting that it says that in the first year of this king, I, Daniel, arose to be an encouragement and protection for him. So he's telling him that his, he, that his kingdom is actually going to pass on to his son and his grandson, right? 
In this verse 11, yes. this reference is by the angel, talking about okay. an interplay between Gabriel Got and it. Michael. Okay. Okay. Little, we'd have okay. to back up for that. Okay, yeah. that's all right. All right, go ahead. Let's continue. And Sorry. a mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he arises, the kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority which he wielded. For his sovereignty will be uprooted and given to others besides them. So now, is this is focusing on Xerxes and what happens? Uh, verse 3 is talking about in the aftermath of this, generations okay. later, a mighty king is going to come up and rule according to his will. That's Alexander. Uh, nobody disputes that verse 3 is Alexander. He would come rule according to his dominion. As soon as he became strong, as soon as he finished conquering the known world of that time, he would be broken. Alexander died at about 33 years of age, 13 years to conquer the world. He died at the height of his glory. And when he was broken, four divisions of the empire service, not one of those four, was taken by his posterity, just like it says. Quite unique. All of the other empires went in a unified form to their successor. He says, when Greece comes 200 years away from now, after the very first strong king, he'll be broken in his height. Four divisions will come. His posterity won't receive either any of them. I mean, it's, this is remarkable precision. And, and and again, folks, what we have to understand is this is remarkable precision about world history. Right. It's about documented world history. It's about world history that everybody knows about. And when you study the ancient world, these are the things that you learn, but what you never seem to get taught to you is that these things were predicted long before they happened one place and one place only only and that is in the holy scriptures that's right god's word through the through the prophecies of daniel folks if you have a thought it's 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4all we're live sunday mornings from seven to nine and that means we're on right now. Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com no matter the day or time. And folks, look, if we're not on in the second hour in your area, uh, go to uh, ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and uh, stay with the conversation because this only gets bigger and it only gets better. There is so much here in terms of understanding the, the depth and the breadth of the uh, prophecies of Daniel. Okay, so so David, let, let's continue. You, you've you've given a very I, I got to hand it to you. You're handling handling some very deep things very quickly here, and it's it's a tough it's a tough task. So now we're talking about Alexander the Great and uh, the fact that uh, historically everybody knows what happened, the incredible success he had, and then like you said, he dies at 33 years old, and and this is all predicted in the Book of Daniel. Right. Now, what's going to happen in the 11th chapter, we'll get to that in the second hour, but you're going to go through six generations of kings that followed Alexander with exquisite detail. This is so, where... So wait, so, so Alexander, then, you're saying, is just the beginning of the incredible detail. That's correct. Just the beginning. Folks, understand this. Do you, this is Christmas morning here. This is opening <laughs> up your presents. This is saying, this is exactly what I wanted. If you have ever wondered and ever doubted about the inspiration of the Word of God... Rest in the fact of the prophecies of Daniel because they are unequivocally there to show us that God had foreknowledge and he was willing at some times. He is willing to put that foreknowledge down on paper so that we can understand it. And this is a great moment of faith 
strengthening. It sure is. Make sure you take this for what it is. It is the strengthening of our faith, and it gives an ending to the story. And the ending, which we'll get to in the second hour, so again, you have to stay with us for this. The ending is a terrifically, amazingly wonderful ending. Okay, sorry, I'm I'm done. (laughs) All right, David, continue. Well, we're going to get back. We're going to turn back to the seventh chapter. We're going to start talking about time prophecy. One of the fascinating things is that Daniel includes specific time prophecies intertwined with his prophecies about world kingdoms coming. So, so by what what do you mean by time prophecy? He's going to tell us specific specific periods of time that are going to take place and when they will begin, when they will end. Now, he doesn't give you a date. But he gives you a time period. It's for our th- other later Christian interpreters to realize when that date would be for the beginning and ending. I mean, notable people like Isaac Newton and many of the most famous names of the Reformation plied these prophetic waters, trying to understand when these times would be, would be applicable. We're living so far advanced now, we can look back and pinpoint this preci- precisely. So... Again, in, in the second hour, folks, one of the, the big things we're going to be looking at is not only, the to, to take David's words, the exquisite detail with which Daniel outlines the, the governments and the happenings in, in the world governments of ancient history, but also the fact that Daniel presented to us prophecies that help us to count the days and the years from one event to another, bringing us to the culmination, which is magnificent in, 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 in the final parts of its story. So, David, thanks for being with us. You're not going anywhere. I'll be right here. <laughs> Folks, you've got to stay with us for the second hour. There is so much here, and it's so incredibly awe-inspiring to look at the book of Daniel, to look at the prophecies and realize this is the Word of God coming to life and we can look back and see it came true just like God said. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions and our special guest David Rice uh, we've enjoyed being with you for this first hour there's much, much, much more to come so please stay with us for the second hour. Leave your comments with us at our website or on Facebook. But until the second hour until after the news and all of that, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? Well you're getting a good idea. Stay with us back soon. But till then, Daniel what a guy. Think about it. This is Christian Questions. Joss Whedon once said, The thing about a hero is even when it doesn't look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, he's going to keep digging. He's going to keep trying to do right and make up for what's gone before just because that's who he is. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have got an amazing subject this morning. We truly do. And Rick, our question is, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? And our theme text is found in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. 
So we're talking about Daniel the man and the, the prophecies. We have our special guest here, David Rice, with us. And before we get into that recap, Jonathan, uh, on Daniel and continue, we do want to uh, talk to you folks just for a moment about some good news that uh, for, for Christian Questions, a Christian Questions news flash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, recently in August, we launched our first weekday programming in Orlando, uh, Orlando, Florida, this past August. We're on 12 to 12.30, five days a week That's there. That's right, Christian Questions daily. And uh, we, in Knoxville, Tennessee, we've actually been chosen to work with uh, a, a 50-year-plus radio industry veteran who uh, owns uh, stations in Knoxville. We're, we've transferred to an FM station, Knox Talk Radio 94.3 FM, uh, and we are really excited about being there. We sure are. Uh, that is the Knoxville home now of Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck. Great, and uh, we're on uh, Ron with them now. You know, we didn't. They didn't ask us. You know about you know joining them. If or it anything. was okay, yeah. But uh, you know, we're assuming they're going to be okay with us being there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, from now forward, not Knox Talk Radio ninety four point three FM is our new home in Knoxville, and folks, we look forward to a long uh, relationship with you there. We look forward to your comments and your questions. You can go to christianquestions dot com, uh, leave your comments and, and questions there. You can check us out on Facebook. You can participate in our blog. You can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. Lots of ways to contact us, but again, we're very excited about that new development. So, David, we've been talking about Daniel and his prophecies. Catch us up, in the, like this is going to be possible, in, in a 30-second yeah. summation, what did we talk about in the first hour? We've looked briefly at four different prophecies in Daniel, chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 11, and all of them are telling us about four world empires that start in Daniel's day with Babylon and then follow with Persia, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the details are so explicit. We're told about the first king of Greece that it was split into four pieces afterward and various details of the generations that follow Alexander. But now we want to turn back just a little before we go too much farther forward, and look at an embedded time prophecy in these narratives that is very striking. All right. Now, when you say an embedded time prophecy, it sounds almost mysterious. It has been mysterious for a long time, but it's, it's, it's quite, quite energizing. And, 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 folks, that's the point. One of the things about Daniel, before we get into these specific time prophecies, is that the book of Daniel has long been the target for those who are, are, are doubters of the, of the inspiration of, of, the, of the books of the Bible. And the reason is it is explicit and it is detailed about world events that happened long after the lifetime of Daniel. So they think it's a fraud and they think it was written you know, after all this history took place. Right, and then written to make it look like it was prophesying something that was going to happen, but yeah. already did. Gotcha. And, and wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what it boils down to is the book of Daniel is so specific and precise, and there's much more. There's much, much more to it. In this segment, we're going to be looking at time prophecies. Now, a time prophecy is, as, as David mentioned in the first hour, a prophecy that gives you a beginning event, gives you a period of time to another event. And oh, that's neat. Th that is, that's neat. That's amazing. Let's start by looking at a couple of verses from Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses, what were they, verses 8 and 25? You got it. Okay. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and the three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Now to verse 25. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. 
He will in, intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a times, times, and half a time. So you've got this sense of a time, times, and half a time. Now, we're talking about pulling the horns out by the roots and all that. That's kind of disgusting, if you ask me. Okay, you've got to go back to the historical setting of where Daniel's intruding this time prophecy. Okay. He's taken us in chapter 7 up through the fourth beast. In the fourth beast, the Roman Empire, the greatest empire of all, he says the ten horns are the ten divisions of the Roman Empire in the later times. So that's kind of like the ten toes? That's correct. Exactly. Okay. Compatible with ten toes in Daniel 2. And then he says in verse 8 that Jonathan read that there's going to be another stout, powerful horn growing up among these ten political powers that's going to have dominance for this time, times, and half a time. So that's what we want to focus on. First, politically, to determine what that power is, it's fairly straightforward. You look back at the history of the European uh, nations, and you find that for centuries they were dominated by a religious force that became a political force, and that was ruled out of Rome. It came right from the Roman Empire in that sense. It uprooted three of the political powers of the day in order to establish political power, and then it dominated for centuries, and that's the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so you have, and that's why it became known as the Holy Roman Empire. That's right. All right, so you have the, 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 the mixing of the religion and the state, and again, when you look at world history, uh, there's no doubt uh, that, that these things happen in the way that they happen, because all of history documents these things. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 86. 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And check out our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so you're establishing that this, this other horn, which started out small and became very big and powerful, is the, is the papal system. That's correct, and that was pretty much the identification of Protestant expositors for centuries. Now, people like Isaac Newton have plied these waters. I have a book at home about Newton's on the prophecies of Daniel and the Apocalypse, and he identifies this time prophecy as the fundamental prophecy of the book of Daniel. And we're going to explore this a little bit. We first have to find out what is this cryptic expression, time, times, and half a time, all about. And to do that, we want to note that Daniel twice repeats this. We've read one. It's also in Daniel, the 12th chapter. It's expressed the same way. Time, times, and half a time. That's right. But then you go to the book of Revelation, and you find it five times there. And it's under three different ways of expressing. Once, it's time, times, and half a time. Okay, so that kind of links you back to Daniel very clearly. That's correct. No question, it's the same prophecy referred to. Right. But then it's also put as 42 months You'll find that in, uh, in Revelation 11.2 and also in Revelation 13, verse 5. All right, so, Jonathan, let's just read one of those. Let's re- read Revelation 11.2, just to put it on the table. Okay, Revelation 11.2. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Okay, so the for- okay. 42 months. Now, think about this word times. Most expositors say a time is like a period of a year. 
Well, let's test this out and see if it works. How many months are in one year? Twelve. I got it. I know that. <laughs> okay. Oh, pick me. <laughs> and then in the Hebrew, when it says a plural, but it doesn't determine the number, you choose the minimal number for a plural. That would be two. Yeah, because it's more than one time. Yeah. Times. So you have 12 months, and then you have two years of 12 months each more. So 24 months plus 12 months is 36 months. And then half of a year. Is six months plus 36 is 42. 42 months, and that's exactly the number that is in Revelation on two occasions. Now, normally speaking, you think of a month of about 30 days, and that's the way it's used prophetically in Scripture. Now, if you take 42 months and you apply 30 days per month, you're going to end up with? Well, that I don't know the math, but I'm cheating because I'm looking at the answer. 1,260 days. (laughs) 1,260 days. And you'll find that in two scriptures in Revelation, that number is expressly given to us. In Revelation 11.3 and Revelation 12.6, both of them expressly call out a time prophecy of 1,260 days. All right, and and let's read Revelation 11.3, Jonathan. We we read verse 2 that talked about 42 months. Now go to verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, so what you're saying is 1,260 days is the unlocking of the time, times, and half a time. Exactly. And this is pretty much agreed by all expositors that that's the point of these three and a half times. But now, how to figure out how many years this really is referring to? When you look in prophecy, there's a prophecy in the ninth chapter of Daniel that predicts the number of years between Daniel's day and the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And it's 70 weeks. And the only way to unlock that prophecy is to understand that those weeks are weeks of years. So each week representing seven years. That's correct. Okay. Therefore, okay. each day represents a year in the fulfillment. Now, this day-for-a-year prophecy principle has been used widely for hundreds of years. And you'll find it explicitly referred to in places like Ezekiel, the fourth chapter, where God says to Ezekiel, I have appointed thee each day for a year. For a year. And even back, you remember when the Israelites were spying out the land for mm-hmm. 40 days, and God says, you came back with a bad report? Each day, you're going to be punished ah. a year. Okay, so what you're saying then is the day for a year is not something you're going to say, okay, we're going to take the 1,260 days and mean, say it means 1,260 years because we feel like it. It's because it's a biblical pattern and principle that has been established and used over and over and over That's again. correct. Okay. And explicitly, even right in the Daniel, the ninth chapter, it, everybody sees that's what it means. Okay. So if you apply that term, that, that key, that means Daniel is prophesying that the Roman Catholic Church would have political sphere of influence for 1,260 years. And that is something that expositors have looked to for a long time to determine, well, just where do you place that period of time? This right. is not unique to the last few years. This has been centuries that people have looked at the prophecy this way, Isaac Newton included. Now, Isaac Newton lived before this time came to a close. And he says, we won't know exactly until the close of the time. We're living beyond that time. So we can pinpoint this. And it turns out that the year that the Pope, as a representative of the Roman Catholic Church, first got political control uncontested of Rome, was in the debacle of 538 to 539. And this was a time when the Gothic power that had control of Rome was vanquished, and in 539 that campaign was ended, and the Pope was left unambiguously in control of Rome as a political appointee. 
Okay, and that and I, that's the key then. That's the key. The no longer is only religious, but now political power. Political power. And, and so you're saying there's this political power that goes for a period of time. Right. And you're saying that historically, you can look at 539, yes, 539. As, as the beginning. That's correct. So then logically, my next question obviously is, so are you telling me that you have to take 539 and add 1,260 years? Precisely. And what do you come up with? 1799. And now, okay. when, when you look at that date, you say, well, wait, okay, now this was a, a remarkable time in the history of the Roman power. Because in 1799, the Pope died as a prisoner of Napoleon, and he would not allow the election of a successor. And if you look at the history of times before this and after this, before this, the Pope and the Roman Empire, would, a Roman pontiff, would always been kind of the one to look to to govern the affairs of Europe. Right. After this, after the Napoleonic Wars, he wasn't even invited to the conclave that resolved things. Their political power ended. As a matter of fact, at home I have a book that talks about every one of the pontiffs of Rome. And this is a new chapter in the history of Rome. And the Catholic Encyclopedia recognizes 1799 as the nadir, the very lowest point of, of papal fortunes in modern times. So it was a landmark event, landmark time. Okay, so, so we, we need to wrap up this segment here kind of quickly. So really what you're saying, if, I, if I'm getting this, is that in this, in this prophecy in Daniel, where it talks about this small horn growing up and becoming incredibly powerful, it says for a time, times, and half a time. Yes. So what you're saying is within that prophecy, within those couple of sentences, it's saying you're going to have a religious system that will dominate the world-dominating empire. For Pol- become a political uh, dominant, yeah. For 1,260 years. Yes. And we can look in history and we can see that happened from 539 to 1799. Yes. And it happens to be exactly, it doesn't happen to be, it is exactly 1,260 years. This is the embedded time prophecy of Daniel and there's much more. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest David Rice. Our subject, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? Coming up, what about the destiny of the human race? Did Daniel's prophecies provide a key for that door? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest David Rice. And our subject this morning, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? I know why. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, uh, David uh, is going through some magnificent revealings of, of, of prophecies and time prophecies in the book of Daniel. Before we get back to the time prophecies, though, Jonathan, uh, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And nice to meet you, David. Thank you. We have Daniel 7.13. I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. We know the truth of Daniel's prophecies. And we know that the youth survived the white-hot furnace. But we also know that the fires at Auschwitz still burned, and the guns at Sandy Hook still rang out. So what does Daniel tell us about our life today? Isaiah 46, 9, 10. I am God, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. 
As God works in history, God works in our history. Nebuchadnezzar did not know his dreams, but Daniel lived with faith in a pagan world. The Christian does not always understand life, but knows that God is with us now. Luke 1, 31, 32. You will name him Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And uh, Randall's right. We, we do know and understand these time prophecies of Daniel, and it helps us to have a greater faith at a time when the world is really upside down, because there is a good ending to all of these prophecies in Daniel, and that's the most important thing. Again, Randall, thanks so much for the call. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. We're on right now. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning from 7 to 9. Join our conversation any day and any time at ChristianQuestions.com. And please, 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 if you are not a Seeker Rewind subscriber, please become one as fast as possible, especially for a program like this that is so incredibly detailed. You want to have it in print. You want to have it available to you so you can read it as well as listen to it. And it's an absolutely free service. It is. Bonus material, graphics, illustrations, wonderful. Only at ChristianQuestions.com. Seek your rewind, the full edition. Sign up now. All right, David, you talked about this 1260-day prophecy, and then you actually labeled a time frame for it from 539 A.D. to 1799 as a period of great papal power. And historically, we see events on both ends of that that give you a very specific beginning and a very specific end. Yes. All right, what's next? Okay, well, understand that this is a, such a fundamental time prophecy of Scripture. It appears five times, twice in Daniel, five times in Revelation. And this is used as a predicate for two other time prophecies that are now going to take us to the end of the age. And that's why it's significant to find that time prophecy, because it points us to our day a little farther on. So, Daniel, we, we spent a lot of the first hour talking about the, the, the universal empires that followed Daniel. Yes. And they were primarily... Ancient history. Right. But now you're saying these time prophecies link ancient history with modern day events. Exactly. <laughs> Christmas is here, I'm telling you. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. All right, let's look at Daniel chapter 12. Let, let's start, Jonathan. Let's just put, put the context because he's mentioning the end times. So let's put the context in place. Let's read the first four verses. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people... Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. So, several things in that, uh, David, jump out. You know, the great time of trouble such as never was. Right. Uh, Daniel being instructed to seal the book, essentially saying, what, it's going to be a mystery. For a long time. Until the time of the end. Exactly. And when do we live? In the time of the end. <laughs> Therefore, mystery reveals. That's exactly the point. Okay. So, we've got that in place. So, now you're saying there's these other time prophecies... That that are built on the 1260 the days? Yes, 
And it's got to take us to a roughly our time. Now, the passage that Jonathan read, these four, first four verses, take us even as far as the resurrection of the dead and the millennial kingdom of Christ. Now, we're not that far yet, mm-hmm. but we are already in the time of trouble. So the prophecies are going to take us to our day, and we can see them already fulfilled. So, if you read in Daniel 12, verse 11 through 13, you'll find these extra two prophecies that extend the 1260 days a little further. Okay, so, well, okay, let's just read them first, and then I'll start blabbing. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So the first thing that jumps out at me is that Daniel, when he mentioned the 1,260 days, didn't say 1,260 days. It said time, times, and half a time. Correct. And that's one of the reasons why it looks like it was, it was obscured. Very good point. You couldn't possibly break the code until Revelation gave you a little more clues. Right. And now, but then, now you have days listed here. It, That's it, correct. It talks about days. So it, it's interesting that you're, you kind of go back and forth. All right. So we've got the 1260. What about this 1290 days and 1335 days? Well, the 1290 would obviously extend the time 30 years more. So what happened 30 years after 1799? Good question. What happened 30 years after <laughs> 1799? Well, exactly what verse 10 talks about. Now, verse 10, it, that Jonathan, just before the passage Jonathan read, said, Many shall be purified, made white and tried. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Understand what? The, t- the prophecies of Daniel. And you'll find that in, in the 1820s, there was a movement in England, in Europe, in the United States, from different leaders that were all looking forward to the end of the age and beginning to unlock the meaning of the prophecies of Daniel. And that's exactly what this prophecy says. About 30 years after the end of that political dominating force, well, the scriptures have a renewed influence and the prophecies of Daniel will begin to be unlocked. And this was the time when Protestant expositors really began to publish on the book of Daniel and break open the very things we've been talking about today, including that 1260-year time prophecy. This is nothing new with us. This goes back, you know, 200 years almost. So, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. So, David, you're saying essentially in the 1820s, there was this incredible uh, resurgence of interest and understanding in biblical time prophecy and this 539 to 1799 thing you're saying is it's not something you figured out <laughs> not at all <laughs> this is something we received as a heritage but i looked at it very carefully because it's so engaging to me but no this is not modern at all uh, in fact like i said earlier isaac newton knew about the time period he had within he says you know from his day he says it'd be about somewhere about 100 years from now before this comes to pass and he was he was just about right so you you have that so you have this 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 expansion of biblical understanding of prophecy and again folks we're talking about what we're talking about the book of Daniel why because the book of Daniel singularly uh it, it includes the history of mankind from then till now and beyond with such accuracy and such precision that people who doubt the scriptures want to throw the book of Daniel right out the window because it gives them too much grief and 
Rightfully so. Now, in America, it was called maybe the Miller Movement, That's wasn't correct. it? That's well, the Adventist Movement, sometimes, some, Miller, William Miller was the chief exponent. Okay. But it's the broad Adventist Movement, and it was, uh, but it was also in England before Miller had it here, and it was uh, Thomas Wolfe in Europe. As a matter of fact, Thomas Wolfe was so prominent in his expositions, the United States Congress had him give a presentation to the Joint Standing <laughs> Committees of Congress. Wow. This wouldn't happen today. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they'd throw but that th- right out. That's, how kind of, that's what kind of stature these prophecies began to unfold and t- t- the kind of learning that, w- that ensued from them. And, you know, that is a significant point. I'm glad you brought that up, Jonathan, because there was a recognition of these, not just in small, quiet religious circles, but in, in national circles. Correct. All right, because the Bible, folks, believe it or not, the Bible back then still held clout. <laughs> it, it, it was a book of great influence a hundred some odd years ago like that. Yeah. All right, so you've got the 1290 days, and you bring us to there. What's next? The 1335, and that's going to take you 45 years in the future, and that takes you to about the 1870s. And the 1870s was a period of remarkable resurgence of understanding the whole plan of God. Now, from there, we can date the beginning of what we affectionately call the Bible Student Movement or the Truth Movement that really has proclaimed more than any other the coming establishment of the kingdom of Christ. Now, when Randall called, he referred to Daniel 7.13. Mm-hmm. And he, that talks prophetically about Jesus receiving this wonderful kingdom to bless all the world of mankind. And it's also in the second chapter. And at the end of the seventh chapter, again, it says, uh, let's see, this is uh, verse 27. The kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the saint, people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey him. Well, this tells us the whole world is going to be subject to the administration of Christ and his saints. For what purpose? To bless the whole world of mankind. Like he told Abraham, in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you remember Paul says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. You're going to be blessing the world of mankind during this time. So we're at the threshold of the kingdom of Christ. And that's where these prophecies ultimately take us to. But we're, we're still in the end of the age. We've seen the time of trouble break out. Time of trouble is not yet over. And these prophecies have taken us right to the end of the age. All right, so now here's the thing. One of the things that's impressing me about, a lot of things are impressing me, but one thing that's kind of standing out is you're talking about these long periods of time. And you're saying, okay, coming to the 1,335 days, that brings you into 18, what, 1872, 1874? 74, yeah. 74, 1874. 1874 is, is a very important year. Yes. Now, you're saying, well, here we are. It says, blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains unto the 1,335 days. So if we, if we take the days out and put the year in, you say, blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains unto 1874, the yes. year 1874. Well, that's a long time ago. It is. So, so you've got that, that. You're saying that's a sort of a pivot point. But for us, we're looking back and saying, well, that's what, 126, 38 years ago yeah. or something? You know what Daniel 12.1 says, then shall Michael stand up. This is the beginning of the time when God begins to step in as a transition period to establish the kingdom of Christ. But the, the, what's really said here is that this is going to apply to the Christian faith community, not to world leaders, not to world episodes, but to the Christians at the end of the age. And I'd like to parallel this with something in the Gospel of Luke. Okay. This is Luke, the 12th chapter, and Jesus says in verse uh, 35, 
your loins should be girded about and your lights burning. You know, we should be understanding Scripture, ready right, ready right. to receive things at the end of the age. He says, you yourselves should be like men that wait for their Lord, that when he returns from the wedding, he comes and he knocks, they may open unto him immediately, and he will come in and serve them an understanding of his plans and purposes. At the end of the age, we have the opportunity to understand the plan of God, unlike during the Dark Ages when it was obscured. It's been gradually coming back. He says, at the end of the age, you'll have a bounty of truth and understand God's purposes like never before. We're in that period. We're in the end of the age. And so these aren't earth-shaking events here, except to the Christian community. They are earth-shaking revelations of the understanding of God's plan. So the blessedness is in the fact that the 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 returning Michael standing up. That's correct. Okay, and 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 folks, this is this is would be controversial in a lot of Christian circles, but we understand Michael to be a representation of of Jesus. And we say Michael standing up for his people, we see it as Jesus being present in a very, very special, unique way now versus times before. And we're not going to be able to get into that in great detail in this program. We want to put it on the table because the blessedness comes from the fact that you're living at a time where things have changed. It's not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. And that's the important thing here. And that's the thing about time prophecies. They take a long time, but when you get to a point where there's a transition, you are blessed to be there. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, why do historians dislike Daniel so much? Coming up, just how precise and comprehensive is this book of Daniel? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Rice. And our subject this morning, why do so many historians dislike Daniel so much? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And uh, we are here with our special guest, David Rice. And uh, the, the, the detail with which Daniel reveals the plan of God is is breathtaking. Uh, we've talked about, David, you've gotten us up to the 1870s uh, and a very special time, a very special transition at that point. So why don't we pick up and just take whatever your next step is. Okay. You know, when Jesus appeared at the first advent, that way he was baptized in 29 and began his ministry, it was 40 years after that that the trouble really blew up about Israel. And in, after 40 years... Then the next year they saw their temple destroyed and the whole Jewish system pretty much uh, uh, brought to ruin. Well, when Michael stands up according to these prophecies in 1874, count 40 years from there and you get exactly 1914. To the be- exactly the beginning of the time of trouble. And World what, War One, right? World War One. Wow. And w- World War One was followed by World War Two, and yet still impending is Armageddon. So we're in this unfolding period of the time of trouble, and the date 1914 really is an extension of these very time prophecies. So what? Again, I'm going back to the scripture that said, "Blessed is he that waits until the 1335." 
five days. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, blessed because you're on the cusp of the greatest time of trouble in the, the history of the world? I mean, is that a blessing? <laughs> it's a blessing because what follows the trouble. And it's a blessing because of the uncovering and the ability to know about it. That's right. Also, the, uh, the prophecy in Daniel 12 about knowledge will increase and people will go back and forth. If you think about the transportation um, world, it, it, life changed in the world globally with transportation around yeah, yeah. the late um, late 1870 1800s. right in that area yeah light bulb came into play in what year 1874 <laughs> i mean you can't make this stuff up okay this is this is this is this is the reality of the prophecies of daniel okay so so let, let's go on to the next step then david okay we're, we're sort of introducing this great time of trouble you said you wanted to we're going to take a step back a little bit okay go into the 11th chapter the 11th chapter doesn't receive a lot of attention by Christians today, although a lot of commentators spend a lot of hours on it, because it's extremely detailed. We're not going to take you through all that detail today, but just explain in a nutshell what this chapter is about and why it's so vital to the integrity of inspiration of Scripture. Okay. Now, we already read Daniel 11, 1 through 4 in an earlier segment. That takes us through Alexander the Great and the first uh, four rulers that would divide the Grecian kingdom. Starting with verse 5 and going onward through the rest of the chapter, you have six generations of rulers in Egypt and six generations of rulers in the Seleucid Empire in Syria. And they go back and forward, and you have generation-by-generation history of the chief points of the history for six generations. This is the part that is so stunning and so precise, although complex. That historians say, wait, that that can't be. You must have been written after the fact. But this takes you up to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. But Antiochus Epiphanes is to the time when already the scriptures, including Daniel, had been translated into the Greek language so, into the Septuagint. So it's not even possible it's, it's not even that this feasible. could have been written afterwards. It's not feasible. So, folks, understand that what, what, what David is saying here is that the book of Daniel is so precise and so clear and so consistent that those who want to be skeptical about the scriptures say, well, no, it's, it's just a fraud written afterwards. And what David just said... Basic, and again, Seek Rewind, the full edition, sign up. You can see it and read it because I can't repeat it back to you with any accuracy and we don't have time to, but it will give you the ability to understand it better. Only available at ChristianQuestions.com. Seek Rewind, the full edition, sign up. It's free. The book of Daniel's accuracy cannot be doubted and therefore is only by inspiration of God. Jonathan, uh, we're, we're a little shy on time, but I want to quickly go to the phones here. Um, we have Keith from Tennessee. Keith, oh. uh, good, good uh, morning. Um, I won't get into Revelation 9, 18, 10, 10, and 18, 4, um, by properly a man, nor Isaiah uh, chapter 17 and 19 with respect to current events in Egypt and Syria. But um, uh, you were talking about the 1260 days, and uh, on my own pro- program, my PhD from Priestess God, we've been going over Revelation for over a year. And um, one problem with that 1260 days, if it's a reference to years, is um, there's no consensus on when it begins. But I want to ask you, do you believe that's a reference to lunar years or solar years? Because, uh, you know, the, the ancient Hebrews used a 360-day lunar year calendar, and we used uh, the 365 days. That's another problem. Okay. All right, Keith, listen, we're, we're, we're really shy on time. I'm going to take that question, uh, and I want you to listen. David's going to address it for you, okay? Well, the answer is, is crisp because of the way Revelation handles it. It says it's exactly 1260 days, a day for a year. 
those years are calendar years as we know them. Even the Jews, when they counted years, counted calendar years as we know them. So they were 30-day months, and it was it, it was essentially the lunar year, the 360. You know, there's ambiguity. I would have to detail a lot more. <laughs> a lunar year is not 360. Okay. A prophetic year is 360. But irrespective of what those kind of years are, once you have the number of days, and a day represents a year, those years are calendar years as we all know and love them. Okay. <laughs> those 1,260 years. All right, Keith, we've got to run. Thanks for the question. We appreciate okay. it very much. Um, all right, so David, we've got really like uh, six or seven minutes here. Let's get to Daniel 11. You're talking about the six generations uh, and, and how it, its, its detail really outlines the, the inspiration of the Word of God. Okay, I'll, t- I'll talk just about two or three of the verses. Okay. In verse 5, for instance, it says, The king of the south, that would be the king of Egypt, the Egyptian part of the Grecian Empire, shall be strong. Well, Ptolemy, who took the Egypt, he was the strongest of the four at the outset. He had Egypt, Libya, Cyprus, and Palestine. Oh, he, he was pretty strong. And one of his princes, and he shall be strong above Ptolemy. Well, his prince was Seleucus, who, because he feared somebody else, came to Egypt and was subservient to Ptolemy for a period of years, then went back to Syria, started his own kingdom, and became the strongest of all of the four kingdoms. So this is very technical, it's very detailed, it's very clear how it was fulfilled. Any Bible commentary you read is going to say the same thing on this. You go down to the next generation, that's Ptolemy Philadelphus, he's the one that translated the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint. Okay. And during his reign, there was a marriage alliance between the two kingdoms. That's referred to in verse 6. In the end of years, they shall join themselves together. The king's daughter of the north shall come to the king uh, of the south, rather, shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. And all the details relative to this marriage alignment and how it all broke apart, they're all detailed. History fulfills it all. You come to another marriage alliance way down a couple of centuries later, and that's in verse 17. I won't talk about the details. It's too much for five minutes. But just to say this, anybody who's interested could go through the first half of the 11th chapter, get a good Bible commentary, and you'll see how every generation, every prophecy fits detailed. That's why historians are skeptical that whoever wrote this must have written after the fact. It's that precise. But it can't be. Because now, more and more evidence is coming to the fore to show that the grammar, the language of the Aramaic in Daniel wasn't the right, the Aramaic for a later time. It was the Aramaic of the early time when Daniel lived. I mean, there's some very detailed studies on this. The evidence is mounting so much that skeptics are bending. Not broken, but bending. <laughs> We're working on it. We're working on it. And uh, so, so folks, hopefully you're getting the, the, the essence of this. Uh, we, have, we have gone on a whirlwind tour of the book of Daniel, and I don't know if it's, it, it's certainly not possible to cover in a couple of hours the, the six chapters of Daniel with, with the incredible detail. But David, again, just as, as we begin to sort of formulation, formulate our, our recap here, um, why Daniel? First of all, let me just ask you that question. Why Daniel? To, because there's so much here. Why Daniel? I think because Daniel was living at the time when God had punishing disobedient Israel by causing their national existence to be under the thumb of four universal empires. So it was appropriate at that point of history to give visions and revelations about those four universal empires. And he saw this would take you down the stream of history until the 
time of Jesus' kingdom. And therefore, when you're talking about the empires, you might as well introduce the fifth one, which will be the universal kingdom of Christ, that will finally subsume and conquer all the kingdoms. And unlike the other four, it will stand forever, as it says in Daniel chapter 2. Okay. We're in the time today of a transition. That's why we have a time of trouble. That's why we have a time of difficulty. That's why Israel has been restored to their land to be come in due time, the incipient kingdom of God. All the things we see on the political sphere today, they're all a turmoil preparing for the establishment of Christ's kingdom. And again, I go back to that verse that says, uh, you know, blessed is he that comes unto the 1335 days. Why? Because of the transition and... It's essentially, in my mind, as I'm trying to trying to apply it to my personal life. Now, I'm living several years after 1874 at that exact point in time. But the, the application is you're blessed because there's an open, open opportunity of knowledge in terms of Scripture. That's exactly right. And even though the world is degrading at a more rapid pace than ever, because now you are in the midst of this great time of trouble, you are blessed because you know the ending. Yes, and Daniel gave us a, a view into the ending as well. That's right. Okay. Um, as we begin to wrap this up, what, Fred, what do we have for time? About three minutes. Okay. We got about, about uh, three more minutes here. Um, David, talk about the um, the, the conclusion of, of of the prophecies of Daniel and wh- where they bring us. Because again, this is not. Th- well, actually, one, one other thing, real quick. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess you up on this. We're saying we've entered the time of trouble, but the time of trouble and the time of the end are actually different, right? Well, the end is a broader term. Right. The time of trouble is within the time of the end. So the time of the end would be from when? Well, I guess you could say in one sense. In certain of the prophecies of Daniel, the time of the end was from the Napoleonic conflicts forward to the end. Because that was the beginning of the breakup of of the political stronghold of the papacy. So the time of the end is sort of at the end of the 1260 days then. Yes. And then you have the time of trouble cropping up after the 1335 days. Yes, that's true. Okay, so the time of the end is an introduction, and then you have all these things happening. Yes. Now, really, where all of these prophecies take us to is what uh, Brother Jonathan read in, in Daniel 12, 1 through 3, and that's the end of the age, the blessing of the saints with understanding of the truth, the unfolding of the time of trouble, Finally, the resurrection of the dead and the turning of many to righteousness during the millennial kingdom of Christ. So that's really the capsule summary of, of what the prophecies of Daniel lead to. We've gone, we had the kingdom of God established in Israel. They were punished. It's been overturned and overturned and overturned to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And now we're in the time when Christ is taking the reins of authority, beginning to break apart the other kingdoms, restore Israel, and setting the stage for the kingdom of Christ. And, you know, it's interesting because you referred back to uh, the promise given to Abraham. And, Jonathan, it's probably the most often quoted scripture on our program. It is. Is, is that Abrahamic promise, in thee and in thy seed shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. And then you brought the Galatian scripture in that for those of us who are Christian and true, true followers of Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what you're inheriting is the ability to bless. Yes, exactly. And that's what Daniel says. He talks about what is it? Daniel two forty four talks about with with the with the um, with the image and the stone. What what does it say, uh, David? We oh, need to wrap this up. Verse forty four. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. Well, there's the time of trouble, and then it shall stand forever. 
Final thoughts, David. Thanks so much. Well, Daniel is an inspired prophet, and he is the fulcrum of inspiration. And if from the prophecies fulfilled of Daniel, that's where we can receive the credibility for the inspiration of Scripture. David, thanks so much for bringing us through a very difficult but very unbelievably inspiring discussion on the prophecies of Daniel. Thanks so much. God bless you for that. Thank you. Folks, listen. You have to realize the amazing import of these prophecies and this particular book of the Bible. It gives us hope because it reveals to us the absolute positive unquestionable inspiration of scripture and we should take faith and walk with our heads held high because the glory of God is revealed in Daniel through the trouble all the way till the end where thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth will be fulfilled Jesus prayed for it it's gonna happen for Jonathan and Rick and our special guest David we hope you've enjoyed being with us today please leave your comments with us on Facebook and our website but until next week Daniel the prophecies the plan of God think about it